Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here this week with co-host Benji Davis. How are you doing, Benji? Hello. How are you? Good. And this week we're going to talk about the online Israel conversation, and we've brought in an expert guest. Benji, would you please introduce our guest? Hi. Uh, it's an honor to, I'm fangirling right now, to introduce Blake, um, Blake Fladen, who I follow on Twitter for a long time, um, who has lots of insights onto the young Jewish person's experience in North America on college campuses, being a progressive and a Zionist, and has um, just started a new fascinating organization called the New Zionist Congress, which we'll ask him uh, to talk about. And he's graduating from my alma mater, George Washington, very, very soon. And like all good Gen Zers, is figuring out what to do with the rest of his life. And what well, we won't be talking about that, though, on podcast. Uh, so, Blake, nice to meet you. Welcome to the pod. It's great to have you. It's great to be on. Thanks so much. Well, we really appreciate it. Now, can you give us a little background, just a little bit of a biographical background, before you explain what the New Zionist Congress is and we turn to talking about the online conversation? Sure. Um, so hi everyone. My name is Blake Flayton. Um, I currently live in Brooklyn, New York, which is the other Woo-hoo. holy land besides Israel. Exactly. Um, I made Aliyah to Brooklyn from Arizona, uh, <laughs> last year, <laughs> but, uh, I went to school as, as Benji said at George Washington university in Washington, DC. Um, and when I arrived at school, uh, I had every intention of being a progressive activist, uh, a liberal activist, slash sometimes even a Maoist. <laughs> uh, I was very interested in left-wing politics, uh, in left-wing spaces, in left-wing circles. Um, I wanted to work on the Elizabeth Warren campaign. I wanted to work on the Hill for my congressman, which I did both of those things. I spent every single weekend at a protest, at a rally. I was arrested in front of the Supreme Court several times. Um, so I had a quite a full schedule and a jam-packed life of really immersing myself uh, in left-wing politics uh, during my freshman and into my sophomore year. Um, and essentially, I noticed that time and time again within these spaces, within these circles, there were comments made to me, and not only made to me, but also just behaviors, attitudes, statements coming out of the people who I worked with, of whom I involved myself with, that were extremely hostile to Israel and extremely hostile to Zionism. And I was for for certain that nobody who was saying these things actually knew what the word actually meant. And another thing that's important is that none of it was criticism. None of it was like, oh, Netanyahu, I mean, that guy's a mess. That guy's corrupt. That guy's a racist. Or, you know, I think the occupation of the West Bank should end. And I think that there should be a, you know, a a reestablishment of of peace negotiations. Or I think that the blockade of Gaza is immoral. None of that was the conversation that was happening. What was happening is a complete demonization of Israel as if it was this almighty cosmic power 
that was ruining everything. And I got that impression because Israel was dragged into every single conversation and in every single organization uh, into their space, regardless of whether or not the advocacy work had anything to do with Israel. Uh, Just to give you an example, Mm -hmm. um, it was my sophomore year when I realized that um, various organizations on my campus, including an organization for LGBTQ rights, an organization for labor rights and a $15 minimum wage, and an organization for climate change uh, activism for like a Green New Deal, all had either published in their manifesto or made statements after some anti-Semitic incidents happened at school that uh, condemned Israel and condemned Zionism as a racist settler colonial ideology. And so this was in a Wait, mindset... Wait, can I stop you for this, a sec? After an anti-Semitic yeah. incident, these organizations condemned Israel? Yes, yeah, so... Um, uh, so essentially, that- my sophomore year, um, my sophomore year of college, there was, and this was the breaking point for me when I realized that I, in fact, wasn't going crazy. That something was very, very wrong in kind of the body politic. Well, we'll be the judge academia. if you're crazy, Blake. Don't. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But essentially, this, this, I think there were two freshmen. And one of them, they were af- it was after a party, and I think they were both a little bit drunk, and this freshman is filming this girl, and she's walking down a hallway, and she's kind of like tripping over herself and tipsy, and he goes, what are we going to do to Israel? And she turns around, and she goes, yo, we're going to bomb Israel, you Jewish pieces of shit. Um, and so that kind of caused a firestorm on campus, and immediately afterwards, there was a referendum on whether, not a referendum, a resolution by the student government. And if you don't know, student governments at universities mm-hmm. like GW take themselves very seriously. Um, and so there was like a whole big scandal about whether or not we were going to uh, pass IHRA, the International Holocaust uh, right. International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's working definition of anti-Semitism. And during mm-hmm. that scandal, uh, there was an environmentalist organization, and I won't name names, but I'm sure we all can guess, uh, who came out and said that they were opposed to the adoption of the IHRA because Israel is a settler colonialist racist you know a manifestation of all of those horrible things Mm -hmm. um and it was during that era um after that scandal um and a number of things happened during it i remember one of my friends posted on his insta one of my close friends posted on his instagram story something like why are we you know standing up for the jewish community when the jewish community has done nothing to stand up for other people for other groups on campus which was oh my God. one wow. not true because you know jews make up i think almost 30 percent of the gw student body and two it's like why would you say something like that like that has nothing to do with israel that just seems like a lot of hostility to animosity and so it was after you know my friends uh i saw them view this incident as oh the jewish kids on campus are kind of blowing this out of proportion and you know we shouldn't be so defensive of them and also just the incident itself that compelled me to write an op-ed um about the anti-semitism that i had experienced on campus from my first day of college to that incident um and just kind of analyzing what it means and how it presented itself to me and i was lucky enough to have the new york times publish it um in november of 2019 and after that i uh 
got in touch with thousands of Jewish college students from across the country and the world um, who shared similar experiences, who wanted to reach out because they had questions, they had concerns, a lot of parents, you know, wanting to know what to do with their kids, you know, Mm -hmm. sending them off to college, afraid to send their children off to college. And I had the opportunity to speak at dozens of synagogues and community centers and also write for various other publications like Tablet Magazine and Haaretz and uh, Algeminer, etc. And, you know, it, it really has changed my life because it has kind of tuned me into what I believe to be a crisis in the American body politic and in American society right now, which is a emergence of a sort of left-wing anti-Semitism that I think American ears are a lot less attuned to. And American ears are a lot a lot less quick to pick up on. Um, so Unless yeah, you're on the American right. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, what I'm fascinated with, what I'm kind of obsessed with, what all of my work kind of centers around is the fact that when anti-Semitism carries a tiki torch... When anti-Semitism shows itself as a swastika that's vandalized on a synagogue wall, when anti-Semitism is a Christian saying, you know, the Jews killed Jesus Christ and therefore I don't like Jews, everybody, including Jews, especially Jews, obviously, but everybody can recognize it. Mm -hmm. Forward-thinking, liberal, progressive people have no problem calling it out because we understand immediately what it is. It slaps us across the face as anti-Semitic. We were raised knowing that those types of things are are hateful and discriminatory. But when anti-Semitism comes wrapped in the language of human rights and equality and justice, when it has an air of politics to it, when Mm -hmm. it shows itself in the political realm and masquerades as this is something worth fighting for, this is the civil rights battle of our era— it's harder to see. And I think that's so stupid and immature because that's how anti-Semitism, that's how anti-Semitic movements have always happened. Mm-hmm. There was always a lunatic fringe that everyone recognized as hateful and gross. But the way that anti-Semitism enters a mainstream is by convincing enough people that one, this is something that's liberal and forward thinking and you know, of progress, progressive, and two, positive values. Yeah, exactly. And two, that the Jews deserved it. Right. And Mm -hmm. both of those things are happening right now and they're not coming from the right. It's interesting the way you talk about it, because if you look at like, I don't know if this is too much of a stretch, but how I think about it, like Nazism was, they were progressive. They, they were progressing towards something. Right, it was is utopian in a way. So it was in the far left and the we're far right to fix in a way. The, world. the Nazis were trying right, to. They're trying to. So there was a there's truth a, and justice was on their side, according to them. And the same way you're talking about on the left is talking about in the in the phraseology of truth and justice. I'm curious. Do you what do you think about that comparison? I don't know how it was left out of Holocaust education and Jewish education in general that the Nazis made very. Let me rephrase that. I don't know how it's been left out of Jewish education and Holocaust education that the Nazis made use of leftist language when they encouraged the boycott against Jewish businesses in 1933 and 1934. 
There was actually a poster that I read online that that someone had shared on Twitter that said, you know, Hitler's Third Reich is trying to bring in an era of social justice. You, the poor serf, you, the poor peasant, are being exploited by the Jewish capitalists, by the Jewish, you know, money grabbers, the greedy Jews. The communists did the same thing. Exactly. That language is pulled directly from Karl Marx on the Jewish question. And so... I don't think it's actually it's it makes sense. And Mike's a resident philosopher here, but they're just pulling from you know Marx, Hegel, and then the Nazis went right of Hegel, mm-hmm. and then you know the Marx and then the the, the, the social crit, critical social theorists and all the, the Marxists, neo Marxists, post colonialists, post Zionists, all this stuff is the left. But yes, it's, it comes from the same tree of you know we are progressing in history, mm-hmm. um, right to ultimate truth and justice. So. Um, and the German public at the time was upset and in a state of distress because they had lost a war and there was out of control inflation and there was poverty and there was international humilia- humiliation and there was this sense of hopelessness among many even in the i mean the weimar republic was very successful but there were obviously social and economic problems that needed to be addressed and so when people voted for hitler or when people you know in 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 czechoslovakia you know waved handkerchiefs when the nazis rolled in on the streets to you know occupy the country viewing them in a positive light they I, i don't think that at first they were like we're going to support these people because they hate Jews and we hate Jews too. You know, Germany was a established liberal democracy during the Weimar Republic. They voted for these people because they promised to build roads, to improve the economy, to socialize and nationalize industries and to lift people off of their feet and put Germany back to work again, make Mm -hmm. Germany great again. And so, (laughs) and so, I mean, it was an economic and, I guess, cultural movement forward rather than a, we're going to vote for these people because we want the Jews in concentration camps. Right. I agree. Uh, so how are you, um, like you said, you, your experience in your first years of college and you wrote the New York Times piece and you've been really involved in this. Does your experience um, from your early years in college up to now, would you be like, I could have totally predicted what happened during this recent conflict between Israel and Hamas and that the real threat wasn't actually towards Israel, which is a pretty strong country with Iron Dome that can protect itself, but the real threat was actually towards people like you, um, living, you know, that are activists that are out there, actively Jewish, actively Zionist, and it seems to be, you know, less safe. And I don't know if that's something you were thinking about as an 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid now, almost graduating college. I mean, when I first got to college, I could not have predicted it. But as I learned more and as I began educating myself on the facets of left-wing anti-Semitism and how it presents itself to the world, I totally could have predicted this. If you would have asked me, you know, last year, last summer, if there was a conflict between Israel and Hamas that ended in civilian casualties, what would happen? I would tell you straight up without hesitation, there Mm -hmm. would be an outbreak of anti-Semitism in the diaspora. Because... It's happened in Europe during the Second Intifada. It's been happening in Europe. You know, it happened in Europe during uh, 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 Protective Edge in 2014. It Violence between Israel and Palestine has spilled over into Europe 
since the start of the 21st century, and depending on your source, even before that. Um, and so I see what's happening in America right now just a continuation of what we've already seen across the pond as Corbinist ideologies uh, ruminate here and gain an audience uh, very profoundly. And I believe that audience is being whipped up and encouraged by certain members of Congress who shall remain nameless. <laughs> Can you explain what Corbinization, that, that what you're referring to, about how the head of the Labor Party in England, what, what do you mean by that when saying it's what's happening in America is similar to what happened yes. in the UK? So that's the cornerstone of all of this, right? If, if any American Jew wants to know what's happening in their country and the confusion surrounding anti-Semitism and, and, and anti-Zionism, all they need to do is look at the UK, where 40% of British Jews reported strongly considering leaving the country should Jeremy Corbyn have been elected prime minister in 2019. How did that news not get to us? I mean, if you're not tapped in to kind of international mm -hmm. international Jewish news, you wouldn't know that. But that's a shocking statistic. That's hundreds of thousands of Jews potentially leaving the United Kingdom should this person who styles himself as an advocate for the oppressed be elected to 10 Downing Street. And what Corbynism is, is from 2005, give or take, to 2019, there were, or there was, an excessive amount of behavior from members of the Labour Party, whether they be high-ranking, low-ranking, somewhere in the middle, whether they be, you know, just individual candidates in random towns and cities or whether they be, you know, in the House of Commons, um, who made ridiculous, disparaging, offensive, insulting remarks about Israel, about Zionism, um, about Jews in general, associating them with capitalism, with exploitation, um, with, with, with wealth, with greed, which is, of course, something we're seeing here Pretty classic. Uh, as well. Pretty classic, um, you know, because that comes from the European left. It comes mm -hmm. from kind of this Marxist Trotskyist. I know Trotsky was a Jew. I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, Zev, what was his name? Zev something? I forgot his name. Zev whatever, whatever. Um, but it's Bronstein like... Or something? Wolf. We'll just call him Wolf. Wolf. <laughs> um, and what all of this... The reason why this was so excruciating and hard to confront is because the Labour Party postured itself as just being critical of Israel, just standing up for Palestinians, you know, just holding the left flank on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And actually, so th there's, there's a scholar and a sociologist who lives in the UK. His name is David Hirsch. And he wrote a book called Contemporary Left Antisemitism, which is essentially just a amazingly thorough documentation of the Labour Party crisis and kind of the sociology behind left anti-Semitism. And he dubbed this, this term called the Livingston Formulation. And the Livingston Formulation pertains to Ken Livingston, who is the mayor mm -hmm. of London from 2000 to 2008, who made outrageous claims like his comrades uh, in, in the Labour Party, you know, saying that the Nazis colluded with Zionists in the 1930s, that Israel was, you know, the, the modern day Nazi Germany, obsessed with this, right? That the mm -hmm. Jews of Israel and the Nazis were somehow correlated. Um he every time that he was called out or confronted on this on these comments he would say i was just criticizing israel so 
David Hirsch writes in his book, Contemporary Left Antisemitism, that when people on the left say things that are in no way, shape, or form criticism of Israel, they do not constitute valid political <laughs> dissent against a sovereign state. When they either demonize, delegitimize, or apply double standards to Israel, or when they make use of what uh, writer Shani Moore calls the anti-Semites triangle, blood muddying mm-hmm. conspiracy. When they use those things, and then when they're, you know, confronted, they'll say, I was just criticizing Israel in order to do two things. The first thing is to turn the debate into a, turn, turn the discussion into a debate on whether or not criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic, which by the way, very few Jews believe, right? So we've departed from what you just said was anti-Semitic to, mm-hmm. well, I don't agree with the settlements. I don't agree with Netanyahu. I don't agree with everything that Israel does. So we forget about what was actually said and what the people who do agree with settlements about. and Netanyahu do- agree that criticizing Israel isn't anti-Semitism. Exactly. They criticize Israel all the time. And then the they se- might, yeah, might and be host of the podcast even. The second thing and the most important thing. The second thing the Livingston formulation does, and the most important thing, is it frames the Jew as acting in bad faith, Mm -hmm. as trying to silence free speech, Mm -hmm. as trying to hurt progressivism, to tear down the left. It portrays the Jew as this, like, ultimate right-wing reactionary who's just, you know, throwing around the word anti-Semitism in order to smear and discredit people. And once that theory, that... Jews who cry foul and who speak on anti-Semitism are actually just political agents. They're pawns of the Israeli lobby. Uh, they're they're the you know, Hasbara conspiracy. The Hasbara trolls. The cons- you know once that conspiracy theory becomes institutionalized, it creates an extremely hostile environment on the left in leftist political circles, and that's exactly what we are um, seeing. In because America. they're really bad right wing people. Exactly because mm-hmm. they're. They're not one of us. You know, they've been pushed outside of what David Hirsch calls the community of the good. Once Mm -hmm. a Jew speaks about anti-Semitism, they're othered. They're Zionist. They're racist. They support apartheid. They support genocide. Um, And which is why, Blake, I think you you were describing earlier how movements that really have nothing to do with Israel are taking on this anti-Israel agenda. It's because of this tribalization of discourse where political discourse is now this, it's not a rational argument based on making sense out of situations and then analyzing it. It's this like postmodern tribal, you're either on my team or the other team. And so since people who defend Israel are the other team, everybody on our team agrees, you don't have to explain it or understand it. And it's important that you brought up postmodern too, because that's another huge component of this as well. Whereas people on the left, because the Jews have been constructed by critical race theory, which is kind of a creature of postmodernism, as you know, right. white, white privileged and powerful people, it mm-hmm. creates a justification that as long as you're on the left, you can say anything you want about the Jews, no matter how insulting and batshit crazy. And it's portrayed as punching up, right? And if mm-hmm. a Jew speaks out against it and says that was wrong, it's portrayed as punching down. So mm-hmm. this has and, – and, and therefore, if they're punching down, they're pushed once again out of this community of the good. They're othered as an outsider. And so this has created a kind of an ironclad defense of the left – um, to to kind of fall back on and say, you know, we're not anti-Jewish, we're just casting out the right-wing Jews. Because the only Jews that we accept 
in our movement are the ones that will agree with us in disavowing Israel and, you know, constantly demonizing it at every opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's not rationally protecting the ideas. Again, it's just sort of creating this. It's really, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a cult, but it's cult-like thinking where you're enclosed in, because I accept a dogma, there's nothing you can say, and I'm just going to confirmation bias anything you say and reject anything that seems to disprove me. So therefore, mm-hmm. anything you, anytime you accuse me of hiding my anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism, that just shows that you don't believe in the truth because I know that's what I'm not doing. And if you rationally show me that that's what I'm doing, I can just say, well, see, that's what Hasbara people do. They distort mm-hmm. in bad faith. So it's, it's, it's all this sort of tautological closed loop thinking that mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do. I, I look, I, it makes me wonder if the era of Israel advocacy and trying to educate people about what's really going on in Israel, what, what is the mission, Blake, for a guy with a very active social media pro-Israel campaign or your, 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 your Twitter identity is, is often speaking against anti-Semitism but also for Israel? What, mm-hmm. what are your goals? When you're banging your head against the closed loop of, of, a, of, a, of a cult of, of, of a tribal cult of Israel rejectionism. Well, I think that Jews are vastly outnumbered, as we always are. I mean, when Bella Hadid gets, you know, who has 46 million followers, mm-hmm. which is almost three times as many people, as many Jewish people as there are in the world. Okay. Mm-hmm. I also think, like, over the summer, I think Nick Cannon and Ice Cube had more followers than there were Jewish people in the world. When, it's not that hard. There are not that many Jews in the world. I know. There are not that many Jews. No. When that information, and when she, when Bella Hadid posts an infographic that is so incendiary mm-hmm. and anti-Semitic, and it's spread also to really mil- stupid. Also really stupid. I mean... So dumb. Who could forget that Bella Hadid was foreign policy advisor to both the Bush, Obama, and Trump administrations, and that she's a professor emeritus of Middle Eastern affairs at Columbia? I forgot, but I was glad that I remembered. Um, because she's I was an Edward to- Said professor. She at, sure uh, is. Yeah, Columbia. Yeah. She sure is. She she studied under Noam Chomsky for twelve years. I mean, she's really uh, she's. I think Edward Said and joke. Noam Chomsky have informed complaints about Israel, even as they exactly. condemn it and don't recognize it. That Bella Hadid thing was just bonkers. It was insane, but it was shared by millions and millions and millions of people. And so we are quickly losing, and I do believe this, we are losing a lot of young people to this radical ideology um, that's being... But is it so... I don't know. I, I agree with it being radical, but it's so infused in the mainstream. You know, right. Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Me Too, Free Palestine. You know, that's someone's Twitter bio, and not, they're all the same. It's that's if the you corporatization. If you're a progressive, then that's just part of the progressive worldview. But I believe in Black Lives Matter, and I believe in Me Too. But Free Palestine then says I can no longer be Israeli, and I have to leave with my wife and young children and go live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so like, there's no place for me as a Jewish person. In that ideology, that it kicks me out, and I think it's a. You're saying about Blake about how critical race theory makes Jews the evil white people. You know, in those leftist spaces, we're not just the evil white people; we're also the evil settler colonialists, as like post-colonial theory would say. So it's like this double-edged sword. And what's really dangerous 
in a way, I, I have this idea about like the left wing anti-Semitism, which says you 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 know you're illegitimate because of your you know maybe you, the power that you hold because you're a colonialist and you took away the land of the local indigenous you know Palestinians in Palestine, so you, you don't deserve to have your own country. And then the, the far right, you know, their right wing anti-Semitism says you don't belong here. Stop replacing us with Muslims and Mexicans and immigrants and go to your Jew country. Mm-hmm. So what is a young Jewish person supposed to do when you're encountering? I want to stay here, but then these people want to hurt me for being here. And then these other people are like, but you can't escape because there's nowhere for you to go because you don't belong. And by the way, being here, you're also part of this oppressive racial group. What is the Jew to do? The Jew has to have the courage and the chutzpah to be able to shed their partisan identity and call it out from both sides with the same aggression and vigor. And mm-hmm. you, we have to study anti-Semitism. We can't just have a reaction to it. We have to understand how it operates, how it's used. And Professor Ruth Weiss at Harvard nice. of Yiddish literature. We like her. Exactly. So she defines anti-Semitism, I think, most clearly. And I think she does a really great job of it. And it's very, very simple. She separates Judeophobia from anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And way too many people think that Judeophobia and anti-Semitism are the same thing. Judeophobia is when somebody doesn't like another person because they're Jewish. Doesn't hire them, doesn't you know buy a newspaper from them, doesn't allow them into their country club, doesn't allow them into their university, you know, puts a quota, um, you know, throws pennies at them because that person is a Jew. I don't like Jews, you know, it's personal prejudice. It's a personal prejudice. Anti-Semitism, as Ruth Weiss defines it, is the political organization against the Jews. It is political. The way it has operated since the 1870s when Wilhelm Marr coined the term is if you are a radical ideology, whether you're on the far left, whether you're on the far right, whether you're capitalist, communist, you know, for the wealthy, for the poor, for globalism, for nationalism, what have you, you need to just basic political theory teaches us that you will not boost ranks, that you will not grow your membership and have a real shot at seizing power unless you have something to blame for why everything is going wrong. So it can be defined anti-Semitism as the politics of the pointing finger. The left says, what do we not like? We don't like racism. We don't like apartheid. We don't like colonialism. We don't like uh, white power. We don't like uh, a genocide, obviously. We don't like oppression in any form. We don't like nationalism. So instead of dealing with how these things manifest in the world and where they're found and how they're supported, which, by the way, they are found in nearly every single corner of this planet, in every single institution, what have you, it's far easier to say... Israel, 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 Israel. The Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew. Because not only are you fixating attention on one thing that is so small and easily malleable to fit all of these definitions, but you're also, by pointing the finger at the Jew, you're pointing away from something that we're not supposed to be seeing, which is the corruption and the ridiculousness of the left as it is. Same thing with the right. 
the right says, what do we not like? We don't like socialism. We don't like communism. We don't like immigration. We don't like refugees. We don't like globalism. We don't like internationalism. We don't like Judaism, really. I mean, that's more of the Christian right, but right. you get what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. so instead of dealing with how these things that you know we don't like affect our politics, affect international international order, affect finance, whatever, it's far easier to say the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew. Now, since Nazi Germany, which we all know is very bad, you know, the both sides. I agree with you. I agree with you that Nazi Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Both sides. Yeah. I'm glad both sides. of The political spectrum have have become a lot smarter Mm -hmm. at not saying the word Jew, because that will ring alarm bells in a liberal democracy, especially one that's, you know, reasonably educated on what happened in well i'm not even going to say less that less less yeah, yeah less and less leave recently edu- you know decently yeah. educated on what happened in europe in the 40s so the right obviously says you know globalists new york liberals which i always kind of liked um you know hollywood elite um all of those kind of buzzwords recently um like pedophile which is like a qAnon uh uh conspiracy theory you know lizard people all of that stuff um and the left will say you know zionists which is what the soviet union famously called jews uh Mm -hmm. you know colonizers settler colonialists imperialists uh uh uh, you know likudniks and it's kind of interesting how the likudnik has kind of become this anti-semitic caricature for better or for worse Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and so it's kind of funny, like because like even liberal Zionists, like myself, and I, I've I've recently realized that a lot of us do this when we're confronting our liberal Zionist beliefs, we'll say something like, "But I'm a good Zionist, you know. I'm not the ones like mm. you know the, the, the settlers. I'm not the ones you know you know in in Hebron. I'm not the fucking hilltop youth." But I'm like, wait a minute, is that different from a Jew saying, "But I'm a good Jew. I'm not a Zionist." Mm-hmm. And is that yeah. just different levels of like pushing False consciousness? Is that just so distancing you. yourself from other Jews? And, and are we falling into the same trap? I don't know. But you can, but you can disagree with revisionist Zionism and be against the settlement movement, against the occupation, but, but not the you're throw them under the bus. Under the but bus. not right. throw them under the bus right. when anti-Semite when you're dealing with an anti-Semite. So hey, that's how I'm really on your side when it comes to the right-wing Israelis. So you should mm-hmm. like me. Exactly. No, you're an anti-Semite. Go to hell. It's so bad. Wow. Well, I, 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 I just, I, Blake, I just want to get back to Blake's goal. Your goal oh, is okay. to win allies. To my goal, to, to my inspire. Goal, my goal is to teach people this. To teach people everything that I just said. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to make the younger generation, who is very attuned to the victim, victimizers, oppressed, oppression, you know, how racism mm-hmm. and intolerance shows itself. I want to teach them the history and contemporary politics of anti-Semitism because there has been a significantly an abhorrent uh, lack of that. Um, and so that's my mission, essentially. And that's why I spend a little bit more time on anti-Semitism than I do on Israel. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, I don't have anything to say to somebody who doesn't, you know, think Israel should exist. It's like, okay, I don't think France should exist. Pourquoi la France? Right. Fight me. You know, it's a dumb argument. It's I don't like, think I don't cards should waste. exist. 
Okay. I don't want to waste my time, but I do want to waste my time, and I'm, it's not wasted. I do want to spend my time. You're speaking Hebrew already in English. Chaval Azman, nice. <laughs> exactly. I do want to. I do want to spend my time convincing the impressionable young people that anti-Zionism is in fact anti-Semitism, and here's why. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you? a noble fight. I agree. Um, were you saying earlier when to put partisan politics aside and to uh, to embrace their Jewish identity? or to being pride in being Jewish or being active about it, as in, is there a way that young Jewish um, people can say, I'm actually more Jewish than I am a leftist or a social justice activist because perhaps my political ideology is not 100% representative of absolute truth, and if I get married to it, it could put my... You know, being Jewish identity in danger, and is there a way that we could be like, no? Firstly, you know, I am whatever I am, but like my Jewishness comes before my political identity, and it seems to be the opposite with most people for various different reasons. Well, yeah. So I think a, a Jew is who you are. A political ideology is what you think. Um, you know, a political ideology is very malleable. It can change. It's it's evolutionary. It is susceptible to influences. Whether or not you, I mean, I'm a completely secular Jew. Whether or not you believe in Hashem, whether or not you 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 have a connection to to you know Torah, whatever, you're still a Jew, you know. Um, and I think what we're seeing right now is this terrifying trend that's not without precedent of people on the left who are defining their Judaism by way of their politics. So they're saying, you know, I connect to Judaism because of Tikkun Olam, which doesn't make... And therefore, when I, you know, protest over the summer, when I, uh, you know, share a bunch of infographics on my Instagram, when I raise money for this cause, that's how I connect to my Judaism. Okay, that's great. That's beautiful. Tikkun Olam is actually about doing me to vote, but, you know, you do you. But... That's not what Judaism is. And the same thing for the right. It's like Judaism is not Israel. It's not the politics of Israel. It's not APAC. So um, Judaism, Jews in general are so susceptible to this throughout history because we're, for a variety of reasons, a very educated, a very inquisitive, a very Ashkenazi Jews. Well, no, everybody. I mean, this is this is... This is just the Jewish community in general. Um, I've been to many Mizrahi dinners and, and seders where there's just screaming matches over the, the dinner table about, about politics. Right, but historically, they don't come from the same. I mean, there are cultural differences. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. for sure. But so, but but it's not without precedent that Jews define or or, mm-hmm. or are inclined to define their Judaism or to express their Judaism by their political ideology. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing now is a polarization of that. And that is never good for us. It was never good when Jews in Eastern Europe defined their Judaism by Bolshevism, you know, or when Jews in, in Central Europe defined their Judaism by, you know, assimilating so much that they didn't really see anything wrong with converting to Christianity. Those are bad places to be, and I think it we're- turns out chanting Yehi Stalin, you know, long live Stalin in Hebrew and Yiddish was yeah. not the right. <laughs> not great. <laughs> That's pretty convincing. Can you do that, 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 again? You do that again, please? Oh yeah, I can do the whole song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, should so, I do it again? I mean, we're 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 going to have to wrap up. But are you? 
you know, any anytime there's a problem, it can get better, it can get worse, it can stay the same. And certainly, I think, in terms of the rise of anti-Semitism on the right and on the left in the disguise of anti-Zionism, I think we all agree this has gotten worse over the last few years. Are you optimistic, Blake? Like, what do you what do you see? What do you do? You have a sense of how things are going to go in the future, in the near future? Oh, predictions. So I'm nervous because I voted for Joe Biden. I don't have any reservations about voting for Joe Biden. I like Joe Biden. I don't like his Middle Eastern policy, but whatever. Not it's not whatever. <laughs> it's not whatever. It's just no, no, no. But when you vote, the for alternative was a non. The alternative yes. was a non-starter. Let's just let's say that. Um, yeah. And so, well, as a progressive I, voter, that makes as a progressive sense. voter that yeah. makes sense. I don't think the future of the Democratic Party is Joe Biden. I think the future of the Democratic Party is AOC. And there are some glimmers of hope, like Congressman Torres. Right. Congressman Richard Torres, who I've had the honor of speaking with one-on-one recently. Um, Amazing. Yeah. There are glimmers of hope, uh, you know, from progressives, from liberals who understand what's going on. And... By the way, just this last month, that hope has been a little brighter because I've seen, I mean, friends of my parents have called me, synagogue congregants have called me, my friends who work on the Hill have called me, so many like center-left Jews and even progressive Jews have called me and they're finally understanding what's going on here. Um, And it's, you know, it's been a long time coming, but I think it was the violence that took place during this month that made them realize, oh, I, I think I see something here that Blake has been screaming to me about for years, and I just haven't been paying attention. Were um, the people calling you Jewish? Yes. Or they're just yes. So it so it was a Jewish awakening inside of them. Yes. Would you say yes? Um, so do you think that awakening can happen in the non-Jews in those spaces to see what those people are experiencing? Worked on Mark Ruffalo. Like the, I think that's where I'm pessimistic. Right. I think that's where I'm pessimistic. Because I think that there are sections of the left that are so far gone um, that they truly do not see a connection and will outright outright ignore any evidence of a connection of the Jewish people in the diaspora to Jewish people in Israel. And they think that they can do whatever they want to Zionists because they've been branded as racists. And as Barry Weiss says, we all know what should happen to racists. We all know how we should treat racists. They are so indoctrinated into this ideology that Jews deserve it, that they have it coming for supporting this, you know, evil corner of the earth that's responsible for all of the world's evil, all the world's ills that, you know, that the struggle for oppression against oppression in this country is, you know, whether it be Black Lives Matter, whether it be indigenous rights is directly correlated to, you know, the Palestinian struggle. They are so far gone. And I think there's an, there's Jews who are far gone, too. And of course, these Jews act as a as a human shield against accusations of anti-Semitism until, of course, their services are no longer required, um, which is also which is also with with I mean, that's not without historical precedent. Stalin and uh, uh, we're out of time. Sorry. No, no. Keep going. Anyway. Finish your point. I didn't mean. I meant Stalin. Sorry, I sent a chat the note in Union, Zoom. Yeah, I wasn't trying to derail you. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, the Yevsetskia in the Soviet Union was a band of Jewish Soviets who had the responsibility of promoting Soviet culture and essentially ratting out the Jews uh, who who were going along with it. 
right? And arresting them and, 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 uh, making sure that communist hegemony was very potent in the Jewish community and punishing those who did not want it to be. And that's the same thing as the Hellenized Jews in ancient Mm -hmm. Judea who reversed their circumcisions in order to play with the Greek athletes. Yeah, it's a real thing. In order to play with the Greek athletes and who put put statues of Zeus in the temple. I mean, this is a very common thing. It's a very common trend throughout world history. But those Jews who think that, you know, their sacrifices, their relinquishing of part of their identity will protect them from the anti-Semite who is using them temporarily as a, you know, as a, as a cudgel. They think that in the end it will all be okay because they were one of the good ones. And spoiler alert, in times of anti-Semitism, they're, they're spared only until the very end. But anyway, what I forgot what we were talking about. (laughs) We were saying about, what was I talking about before? The- oh, so no, the awakening of Jews. Versus so I think that I think that I'm pessimistic on that front. I'm pessimistic, mm-hmm. and I think the left is too far gone right now. Um, the Jews and the non-Jews alike. I'm holding out for the center left and the center to hold. Um, and I well, think I, I, with, with the right mobilization and organization, I think it will because I think unlike Britain, we have something to look at. You know, we we have we have a playbook. Um, we're not going in blind to this. And we have so many British Jews who are willing to, you know, speak out and, and say, and, and help us with this. Well, Blake, I mean, for all, for all those types of Jews that you're talking about that are sort of internalizing that anti-Semitism and, and, and thinking that if they join it, they're protected, I do think that you're sort of not... Not that you chose to be a spokesman, but your your activism, I think, is you becoming a spokesman for the other approach, which is that when you see this around you, it sort of it sort of makes your 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 passion for your Jewish identity, if anything, stronger, and your passion for the place that Israel plays in that identity, whatever your political ideology, but it, it, it's stepping out and 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 speaking up for your identity. So, look, dude, we live here in Israel. So for us, it's it's kind of depressing, but it doesn't affect our lives as directly. You're really there, you know, in the trenches on the front lines of of speaking out for Jewish identity. So, you know, call a kavod to you. You, you know, I, I think I, it's fair for me to speak for Benji here. We have so much respect for what you do and 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 the the, the forthrightness of your articulation. Not only that it's informed. But that it's with a calm, uh, passionate perspective. Did you say uh, calm? I, I, That's the first time I've been calm, called calm. <laughs> Look, you don't. You, you, your passion is evident, but you don't. You're not. You're not. You're not yelling. You know what I mean? Like you're. You're. You're reasoned. And so, and so, I, I find that very inspirational, and I think, it, I think it's it's becoming all too rare, and I think you're setting, uh, you know, a terrific example. Thank you. I appreciate that. Toda. Can we do the uh, 30 second pitch? Or, I don't know if pitch is the right word. Tell us about the new Zionist Congress, is maybe one of the ways that you're responding to everything that you talked about. Of and send us links to put into the episode, yeah. Of yeah. course. So, the new Zionist Congress is a new organization that was co founded by myself and my friend Isaac DeCastro. It is a advocacy and education organization that seeks to 
equip Jewish young people with the cultural literacy and the knowledge to successfully fight back against anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism in whatever space that they find it, most specifically college campuses. We do book clubs, we do discussions, we do guest lectures, we do movie nights. Um, we intend to very, very soon do trips and you know have uh, uh, chapters coming to your very own community. It's a growing organization. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at New Zionist Congress, on Twitter at New Zionists, plural, um, and you can sign up to become an official member at NewZionists.org. And you can also listen to our podcast, the New Zionist Podcast, that comes out every single Friday to hear me yell some more. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, All right. I, I will subscribe. But it yeah. was... and, and yell in Yiddish, because I do that quite often. <laughs> How, okay, I'll do Yiddish. Do you speak Yiddish? Yiddish? No, so I, I hear, I've heard, so I, I have my family is aggressively Ashkenazi. Need uh-huh. I say more? <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I feel like Mike and you could have a nice Yiddish conversation. <laughs> no. I wish. And I will, Mike, you must be able to dibble and dabble. If it stays abyssal, but I can't really speak it. Abyssal Vosser Dorden, you know? I, I live in Crown <laughs> Heights. I live in Brooklyn. I only need to walk around ah. a lot so I can just learn it in a day. Well, Fair again, enough. Blake, we this really appreciate the time. We really, uh, I think, I think this is something not only for our, our young listeners, but I think for all our listeners. I think this was uh, really and an inspirational breath of fresh air in a difficult time when our hearts are heavy. It's it is very encouraging to hear uh, and I want, people articulating the truth. I want to extend an invitation when you do come to Israel. I think we would love to have you speak to our gap year students. Yeah. especially on this topic on anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, being a college student. It really needs to be integrated more into Israel Great. education. And as, as we do that for people that come to Israel, Michael and I are looking to ways um, to bring that uh, to our students. And you seem to be a really fresh voice with lots of great ideas. And we'd love to speak and to consult with you on what would be the best way to do that. So I'd love to. Thank you for, I'd love to. Thank you, guys. Amazing. All awesome. right. You have to off Zoom. But it's the end of the episode, so bye-bye. Bye-bye.